Welcome to the Glasgow Short Film Festival 2021 podcast. I'm Sana Yahul, the festival's co-director, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you for listening. Named in honour of one of Scotland's greatest filmmakers, the Bill Douglas Award for International Short Film was inaugurated at GSFF in 2012 by Bill's lifelong friend and collaborator, Peter Jewell. Each year, a jury of filmmakers and film curators chooses a film from our international selection that best reflects the qualities found in the work of Bill Douglas. Honesty, formal innovation, and the supremacy of image and sound in cinematic storytelling. To celebrate the award's 10th anniversary this year, we checked in with all previous winners. In this episode, I speak to Dutch filmmaker Morgan Knibbe, who won the 2015 Bill Douglas Award with his film Shipwreck. Shipwreck is a poetic documentary about a horrific tragedy. On the 3rd of October 2013, a boat carrying 500 Eritrean refugees sank off the coast of the Italian island Lampedusa. The film follows survivor Abraham and drifts through the harbour on Lampedusa in the immediate aftermath of the disaster. You can watch Shipwreck on our screening platform during the entire festival week, along with all other previous Bill Douglas Award winners. And now enjoy the episode and hopefully see you online at GSFF 21. Morgan, how are you? Hello, Sana. I'm good. It's been a while. I think the last time I spoke to you, saw you, was at GSFF in 2016. Yeah. As if you remember. Yeah, yeah, that's a while ago. I know. Did you enjoy Glasgow? Very much. Yeah. It was only for a few days, but I had a great time. So yeah, thank you for, for joining us for this chat um, on Shipwreck. It's been quite a while now when you won in um, the Will Douglas War in 2015. This might have been a while for you, but if you want to sort of start off with introducing the film a bit or like contextualizing it a little bit. Sure. So the the film is about the, the October 2013 shipwreck off the coast of Lampedusa, a boat carrying about 500 refugees, mostly from Eritrea and um, Ethiopia, capsized just in front of the harbor mm -hmm. and 350 people drowned and died. Mm -hmm. I was already working on a feature documentary about the lives of refugees at the fringes of Europe. And after seeing a, like some of the footage that I shot for that film, I was approached by this media platform called The Correspondent. They asked me to make a short film about the, the shipwreck in Lampedusa. And, and that was just a day after 
the shipwreck had occurred after it happened. Mm -hmm. And two days after, I went to Lampedusa to start filming, which was a very weird experience. Yeah. You know, between someone asking you to make that and then you finding out how you want to do it and uh, finding your core, you know, Abraham, your yeah. core subject, and then building the trust. I mean, how much time did you have and how did you ha have to go about that? Then? Yeah, so I had about 10 days in total. But at the very first day, I shot most of the footage, which is normally not the way I work. I usually really try to work on a strong basis of trust. You know, I want to get to know the people that I film and I want them to be on the same line and to, you know, to, to work on a mutual goal rather than just, you know, film their misery and exploit their, their misery. That's, that's never the goal. But mm -hmm. when I arrived in Lampedusa, I basically, I sat down in a cafe somewhere just to get a coffee and I wanted to sort of get my thoughts straight and, and think of a plan and then I saw a live broadcast of what was basically happening at about maybe 200 meters from that cafe and I saw all these coffins being transported onto a military ship and people screaming and I, I asked that the person the, the waitress is that here and she said yeah that's that's around the corner so I grabbed my camera and ran over there <laughs> And started filming. I felt like a vulture, basically, yeah. together with some 50 or so other journalists and filmmakers who were all recording the same thing. Uh, so I was uh, kind of troubled um, and uh, questioning myself while filming is, should I just continue uh, or, you know, am I doing the right thing here? Because these people haven't asked to be filmed and they're going through extreme trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I felt that if I wouldn't film it, then I wouldn't have anything and I wouldn't be able to reflect on that situation at all. So I decided to not only film the refugees, but also everything around it, the, the police, the coast guards and the media circus. In a way, it's, it's also a reflection on that. So um, and then and then what I noticed is that a lot of the journalists, I mean, I don't want to discredit their work at all, um, but a lot of them stayed for only one or two days or maybe even only an afternoon and didn't have the time to um, to get to know the people there, to get to know the refugees. And um, that's something I I worked on. That's how I met Abraham. So I stayed for about 10 days and um yeah i i bought a football uh that was <laughs> and ended up playing football with uh, a lot of the young men from the refugee camp for a few days and that's how i met uh, abraham we slowly worked on uh, sort of you know trusting each other of course uh, as you can see in the film very traumatized um so i had to be very careful yeah, because that's what I'm sort of one. I mean, you know, it's obviously great that you were able to stay for that amount of time. But, you know, I'm sort of trying to think how someone who has just been through that kind of trauma, like how do you communicate what your intention is and, and how, you know, how do you manage to win that trust in that kind of situation? Yeah, well, at first it was very intuitive. So I, I felt a bit depressed because of, you know, uh, seeing all this misery and then at the same time also seeing that the way that most of the 
journalists and filmmakers tried to get their footage was by they were kind of forcing themselves. One of the one of their ways was to flock around the uh, the police st um, station. There were a lot of refugees there because they had to check pictures of of their deceased loved ones and their you know their traveling companions who had drowned. So the 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 filmmakers would go there and just start filming. And I I didn't feel like that was how I wanted to do it. I I basically put my camera away for a few days and noticed that a lot of the refugees were were not interested in in talking with me. So yeah, then I at some point I just walked over to the refugee camp, which is also a very weird experience because it's built in a valley and sort of hidden away from the rest of the town. So you can't see it unless you walk up the hill and then down again. And then sort of the, the sound of all these people together in the refugee camp rises as you walk down into the valley. And it's, it's all um, closed up with fences. So I just kind of sat down at the edge of the camp and started observing and thinking for like, what can I do to, to connect with these people? And then Abraham came up to me and sat down next to me. And we started talking with, with each other, even though we didn't speak each other's language at all. I had learned a little bit of Arabic and he spoke, spoke a few words of Arabic and it sort of clicked, like we, we became friends very quickly. And that's when I bought a football and <laughs> we basically started playing football for a few days. And then he learned about my ambitions and agreed to do an interview with me. And so how did that then, I guess, result in, in the way that he recites it in the film? Because, you know, it's very it's a very sort of composed whisper, what he does. Uh, that was my um, idea all along. So the the feature film, Those Who Feel the Fire Burning, ha has the same form. It's a, it's a little bit more abstract in the short film, but the, the whole concept is actually that basically the, the perspective is that of a drowned refugee flying through purgatory at the fringes of paradise, you know, the presumed paradise, Europe. And the, the, the ghost is able to hear the thoughts of the people that he passes by. And that's why I, I asked Abraham to speak in that way. So <laughs> it's sort of an, an artistic framework that, that sounds a bit artificial maybe, but it was meant to make the experience more emotional and sensory for audiences. Yeah, I think it adds to the immersion of it. Uh, and I guess I also wanted to know what, if you had a clear idea of of everything, you know, the entire aesthetic and approach of the film before you started, or whether you ever considered maybe speaking to anyone or interviewing anyone directly. I don't know if you spoke to, for example, the authorities and, and the workers that you see in the film. Yeah, I've tried to reach out to some of the authorities, but that wasn't, that, that, that was very difficult. And I, I, I was just there by myself. I didn't have a producer. I did everything myself for that shoot. I did get to speak to some other people. I did get to speak with um, a lady who, who happened to be on her sailboat at sea in the area where the, where the, the ship started to sink. And she, she woke up from the screaming of the people in the water and she saved a couple of people. She had to go to court because she was 
they they were considering her to label her as a smuggler because right wow yeah which was also you know incredible incredible story but i i didn't feel that it fitted in the short film unfortunately i decided to focus it entirely on the experience of abraham and uh you know to sort of frame it within his perspective and then to show everything you see at the harbor from his emotional experience yeah one thing i was um because i've been i watched it a few times again and um i was wondering about whether it's like how much do you consider it a hybrid work even despite that it is documenting a very real tragedy because i think you know the shots in which he stands in the middle of these wrecks and particularly sort of the t-shirt you know he's got his i'm famous t-shirt on and I think there's something about it that it, you know, there's obviously very something very deliberate about this. But I was wondering to, you know, to what extent you intended that? Well, he was, he just happened to wear that shirt. I didn't put that on him. And I, I didn't even really realize he was wearing that while I was shooting that. I was so focused on the, on the shipwrecks and on him and conveying this emotion that I <laughs> realized while looking back at the images that he was wearing this shirt saying I'm famous, which was, of course, very ironic in a painful way. Well, personally, I think that any media, any medium is subjective, You, especially when you're making films. Uh, I think it's actually a, a bit dangerous that people presume that documentaries are somehow objective. And um, I, I never hide the fact that I'm creating an emotional experience from a sub subjective point of view. It's like, it's just so clearly cinematically heightened that I hope that, you know, that that's actually a way of being honest about it. I'm not pretending like everything is purely objective, but at the same time, it's actually very documentary footage because all I asked Abraham to do was to walk around these, these shipwrecks and to tell me his story in a rumative way. And uh, uh, everything is just what it is. It's, um, it's, it's, not, it's actually not very manipulated other than that the framework or sort of the perspective is through a fiction, is, well, it's through an artistic vignette. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, because I want to come back to that later, but I think the, these conversations about the, you know, the licenses filmmakers, particularly documentary filmmakers have, and I think uh, us as programmers too, right, th those conversations are always ongoing. And I think they sort of move and respond to the crisis and progress in the world at the moment. So I'm wondering, do you ever think back of making that film? And do you think like, oh, you know, this, this is maybe something I would have handled differently or would approach differently now? You know, is there is there anything like that? We were super respectful and we really took our time to work on this basis of trust. It wasn't always possible. Those moments where it wasn't possible and where I still decided to film, that will, that will always remain like a dilemma. After I made this film, I, for a long time, I thought I'm never going to make a film about people in extreme poverty anymore because it's, it's the, the, the danger of being exploitative is just too big. Uh, you know, I'm sort of appropriating the misery of others. And ironically, I'm the invader. Not They are not the invaders. And personally, I believe that all this stuff is because of uh, our colonial past and the, the fact that our 
wealth is built on the exploitation of others. It's built on environmental and social injustice. In the end, that, that's why I make these films, because I feel a responsibility with my privileged position to do something with that, to reflect on that, to give back to the community. And, um, and that's why even now, my future projects, I continue to focus on this balance of the wealthy and the poor. And again, uh, you know, I have chosen subjects where there is a danger of being exploitative. But I think the most important thing is to really do your research well and to um, make sure that whoever you're working with and the people that you're filming, you share the same goal and that you don't have a double agenda, that you're truthful and honest and learn from their perspective during the process as well. Yeah, and that, that sort of leads in quite nicely to something I wanted to ask about, whether there have been any conversations and connections that have, have come from this film and from the feature as well. You know, you said it earlier, like, I think you have those more traditionally activist, goal-driven type of documentaries. And then you have yours, which which is a lot more about creating empathy and immersion and understanding. And I, I don't think it sees itself as having an ambition outside of cinema necessarily. So I'm kind of wondering what conversations of, if any, have, or, or like, you know, any connections that you've made from this film, from people who have engaged with it, um, has it, you know, like what sort of the impact it has had from your perspective? Yeah. You mean from audiences? Yeah, audiences and maybe people who sort of work around around these areas, you know? Yeah, it's very difficult to say, you know, it's, um, <laughs> of course, I've had conversations with people who've seen the film and, but it's always difficult to really get an idea of the impact that the film has had. I, I couldn't even say for sure how many people have seen it, but I've heard, for example, of a, a lady who saw the film and afterwards met two refugees in the train <laughs> and offered them to stay at her house <laughs> for a night because they didn't have a place to sleep well. That's to me, it's incredible that apparently somebody gained a certain empathy and, and decided to act so, so lovingly. And, and that's my main goal to, like you said, to create empathy, compassion, perhaps even, and to make people feel that we are interconnected. Sometimes uh, I don't want to sound like pretentious, but in a way, I sometimes feel it has similarities with shamanism like storytelling and offering people a chance to step outside of the bubble of their own ego and to experience the subjective point of view of somebody else. And in this case of people who are suffering and we have a responsibility in that. For me personally, my way of doing that is it's more powerful to create an, an emotional sensory experience than to share only facts. The facts, I, I learned many of those facts through other types of media. I mean, those have its place as well. That's not my medium. I mean, I think that, that what you're saying is like that, I think even it shows itself in current news media, you know, and, and the way people respond to news coverage. And even, even when it comes to then, you know, how that translates to politics in the sense that, you can give people all the facts and all the stats and that's not necessarily what's going to make them th decide or, or, or have an opinion a certain way. Mm -hmm. I guess I wanted to maybe speak as well about, in relation to that, about the aesthetic choices you've made 
for the film because you know they entirely they are entirely about that sort of sensory experience i think that the way you've handled your camera you know the camera kind of floats you've got that sound of the waves and 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 it's sort of mm-hmm. mimicking that and i mean it's very evocative and then sometimes it does that spiraling upwards to me it was really a, a very accurate visualization of just anxiety and and being overwhelmed and and was that something that you were quite confident about that approach that was that always what you had in mind for it yes yeah that was that was the the idea the concept from the very beginning i mean uh, i had been in uh, greece in a refugee camp before during my first year in film academy in two, 2008 and um i i shot footage there so a very sh- short fragment of that ended up in the film it's the the, the boys climbing up the ropes onto the ferries. But there wasn't a clear concept at that time when I was filming that. And um, actually, from that experience, derived the the audiovisual concept that later came to be Shipwreck and, and Those Who Feel the Fire Burning. Because the refugees kept telling me, everywhere I went and met refugees, they, they often used the same metaphor, which I found very interesting, is that they felt like, ghosts flying through purgatory and that they had left the the hell of their war-torn countries in search of the presumed paradise europe but you know stuck in limbo and that feeling of limbo i thought was a very powerful thing to to share and to convey in a cinematic way and also to go beyond the expression of suffering i i'd seen some other films about refugees where where you often see the refugees turning to the camera and basically demanding the the audience to or or the the western viewer to take action that could evoke a, a defensive response within a lot of people so that's why i chose for a different approach i was maybe wondering if you could quickly talk about what um what has made you go from documentary to fiction filmmaking? Actually, I um, when I was in Film Academy, I never really thought very much about dividing those two. I just thought of in terms of making films and looking for the most powerful way to tell a story. At first, I focused a lot on documentary, I think, because I wanted to get some more baggage in my in my backpack is that a way is that a right expression yeah i mean i understand it <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. it's because i speak the same language as you <laughs> yeah 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 i wanted to get more experience and 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 more more life experience um but now i feel like i have more control if i if i do so uh for this specific subject also it's like i, I really want to focus on on things that people tend to look away from and that I could never do in a documentary way. Some of these things are way too sensitive for the main characters that I have in mind. That like th- these real people would never really show that for real. Even though we're gonna work with non-actors, they're gonna be like recreating and playing things. And there's an agreement that what we're gonna watch is fiction, but nonetheless, it's truthful. And that was also a th- something that that sometimes bothered me with making documentaries. Let's put it this way: that w- with fiction, it's a bit more clear that we're the the agreement is we're gonna watch something highly subjective now. And with documentary, that that is often a bit more vague for audiences. 
And so this this gives me even more creative uh, control, I think, to and to do some really s surreal and cinematic things that I have in mind, and that I think will create a very powerful cinematic experience. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before we finish, a few shoutouts. Glasgow Short Film Festival is made possible thanks to the generous support of Screen Scotland and Filmhub Scotland. This podcast was produced for us by Helena Rifai with music by Lewis Den Hertog. We'd love to hear your responses to this episode and our festival programme, so get in touch. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Glasgow Short. Enjoy the festival. Enjoy the festival.